Well, hey, thanks for tuning in to the Young Life Midlands podcast. We have another great seminar for you from Neil Gardner talking about vision, um, vision for your life, vision for your high school friend's life, teaching kids how to dream again. So the sound um, is a little wonky at times, but still so much goodness. So enjoy. Yeah. Just to have lots of leaders. Give it 
I appreciate that. Give it a number. What would you want? 40. Okay, that's great. Give me one more, maybe with like direct ministry, club, campaigners, camp, something that you want to see happen, you dream for it, but you don't know if it ever would. Yeah. The middle schoolers would disciple their friends. Last one. We have a club with every kid. Maybe you have a club with every kid or maybe even every type of kid at the school. Those are great things. Like if you really think about it. And you want to see those things happen. But you think they never would. And then you start thinking like, there's a God who parted water. That spoke through a burning bush. But yeah, you're right. You, you probably need more leaders, and that might not ever happen. Like you start to think about some of the stories in the Bible where God would do incredible things, right? Where he would, uh, there was a funeral that walked through the town. It was just a normal funeral on a given Wednesday. And then stopped at Jesus and he touched it and the guy walked, stood up. But yeah, you probably will never take a 50 kids to camp, right? We probably will never get black kids. See, why is it that in Scripture there's these stories of God that's powerful and we love him, all of us would say that or we wouldn't be in this room and then we don't think that middle schoolers want to hang out with us. Why is it? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Because we know in the Bible there's a God that's powerful, right? And 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God put his spirit inside of us. It was a spirit not of timidity, but of power. So why is it we don't think of those things? I mean, quite honestly, if you think of that verse as true, if you believe the Bible is true, that is saying that you are powerful. Would you describe yourself as that? Is that how you think of yourself? Why not? If why not? You know, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus came and he said, look, you're going to do greater things than even I've done. And then we wonder if kids are even going to show up. Or we really kind of think our club's always going to be the way it is. Or there will never be a group of people. Why is it that the Bible said we're supposed to be powerful. God tells us that we're powerful, and we don't think of ourselves as powerful in any regard. See, the first, it's been said that the first peril of, of a Christian is thinking too much of themselves. But the second peril is thinking too little. That you are built to be powerful, that you are built, built to change things. That perhaps God is writing a story, this powerful God wants to have a powerful story with characters that would understand that and move into the world and change things. Doesn't that sound like a movie a little bit, right? It's like a powerful character, right? I love that because I'm a movie guy at heart. I love movies. Most college people and young somethings are the same way. I want you to think about movies for a second, okay? Think about a movie, the last movie you saw, that was in the theaters or Netflix, or even if it was a show, right, and you binged the whole season over Christmas break, right? But think of that. The last one that really captivated you, where you forgot 
what day it was, what time it was, and you were just engrossed in that movie. Why did it captivate you? What was it about it? I'm looking for answers. What do you think? What was it about that movie that captivated you? Yeah. Be loud. Be loud. Relatable characters. Okay, so you look at yourself and say, that could be me. Keep going. What was it about that movie that captivated you? Yeah. Plot twist. There was a plot twist, right? All great movies that we, we get captivated by have these incredible plots, right? That twists and turns, rising action. There's a climax, right? There's a resolution. It's these incredible stories. Does that feel like the story of your faith? Like, honestly, if you had to look at your faith, does it feel like it's a good story? That there's twists and turns, that there's rising actions, times where you come to a weekend like this and feel it, and then times where there's valleys. Or do you want the faith that's just constantly moving like this? It's getting better. See, I think normally we don't want the valleys. We don't want the twists and turns. We don't want the good plot of our faith. We'd rather have just a steady motion. And God is saying, that's never the story I want to tell. It, he wants to tell the story so much bigger than that, right? It's almost like he's, uh, Hebrews 12, 2 says that God is the author and perfecter of our faith. It's almost like he's saying, hey, look, I'm going to write Story. I want to write a movie where you're the characters. And I am writing your faith. I would never write a story that is so lame that it's predictable. I want to have twists and turns. It's like God is looking at you and saying, oh my God, this is Brian. Brian, oh my gosh, I can't wait till the next chapter of his faith. This Sydney, oh my, Sydney has been in the valley. Oh my gosh, here comes the twist. Here comes the turn. She doesn't see this coming, but I am there, and I'm faithful. Ah, I want to write this story. I can't wait to see the character she becomes. He says it in the Gospels, right? John 1, he says to Peter, Simon, you will be called John. Oh, that's not right. Simon, you will be called Peter. Right? But it's like Jesus is saying, look, Simon, you're here. This is where it is. You have no idea the twists and turns and the plot twists that will come. But you are going to be a different character. Do you want that story? Is that the story of your faith? It's a little bit more predictable. What else captivates you about a movie? Think back to those movies you thought of. The underdog story. The underdog story, right? Do you feel that in young life or wildlife, whatever? Yeah. And there's high stakes. What are the high stakes usually in movies? Think to some of the movies. Like when you think high stakes or say it again? Okay, you want specific, I'll be here soon hit her. Are you only thinking of Armageddon? When you think high stake, what else comes to mind in a movie? Life and death. Life and death. Keep going. High stakes in the movie. What does that encompass? What's a part of that? What grips you into a movie? The moments where you can't stop watching it. Yeah. Uncertainty. 
uncertainty, right? High stakes, conflict, right? That there's great conflict in the movie. And really, usually, the more conflict, the better the movie. Right? Like, that's what it feels like. There's drama. It makes you, it's what makes you hate the villain and root for the hero. It's the only thing that will, people don't know about this about movies, it's actually the only thing that will cause the main character to transform and become something different. Like, if they didn't have a conflict, they would still be the same character, but the conflict's the thing that changes them as that character. I want you to think of a promise in Scripture. So you read your Bibles, think of any promise in any part of Scripture. What's on that come to mind? Any promise in Scripture. He'll be with you wherever you go. He'll be with you wherever you go. Keep going. Fire him out. Yeah, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You want to hunger and thirst, you're going to be blessed. God's going to show up. Keep going. Promises. You sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. You sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a great one. That you'll have life and life to the full, right? Keep going. Remain in me and you'll bear much fruit. Remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Yeah, when we seek first his kingdom, and all these other things will be given to you, right? These are beautiful promises, right? The ones we love to like tattoo in like some script writing right here, girls, right? <laughs> what about the other ones? What about uh, in this world you have all trouble? John 16, Everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Crap. 2 Timothy 3.12 All men will hate you because of me. Matthew 10.12 We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22 See, we don't think of those because we don't think we should have conflict. We want the great movie. We want the story of our faith. We want to be changed as characters. Or you wouldn't sing like that in that club room. But we think it's just this. And God's saying, look, the conflict is what's going to change you. And that's why, honestly, that's why I love Young Life. It's because it's not for sure it will work out. It's not guaranteed kids will come. It's not safe. It's not predictable. It is rich with conflict. But do you shy away from it? Is there some part of you that doesn't want the conflict? And God's here saying, no, 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 you want it. It's good. It's actually the thing that will cause you to trust in me differently. I mean, think of your friends that you know have a faith, right? And don't experience conflict. Do you want their story? Isn't there a part of you that's like wanting to grab them and just be like, get in the game? It's because you have it. You have that conflict. You don't know what's going to happen. It's a beautiful thing. Do not shy away from it. What else wraps you in, captivates you about a movie? Think back to the movie you thought of. Why that? Yeah. Unlikely friendships. Unlikely friendships. We experienced that. Keep going. Some kind of journey. 
some kind of journey, right? Kind of goes along with the plot kind of thing. Well, like John said, wants to take us on a trip. So it's the same idea. Keep going. Anything else that wraps you into the movie, captivates you. A great ending. A great ending, yeah. Which we know what ours is. We don't think about it a whole lot. But it has a great ending. We forget that. You know, the other one that comes to mind for me is like kind of the scenery. Right? The, the dress, the setting. And that does draw you into the movie. Next time you watch a movie, watch how many scenes have no speaking at all. Because it's just the characters driving in a car with some indie music playing in the background. But it's just the character, and you see their eyes. And it doesn't say, they don't talk, but you know how they feel. What they're wearing. And it's like you're taken there. Do you know the dress and the scenery of your story? Of your ministry? See, because it's the thing that makes us want to float down the river with no one alley. It's the thing that makes us believe Gotham exists. But I don't think we know our, our scenery. Or we skip over it in our ministry. One of my favorite things to do at my high school is when I go to the football games in the fall. We have a home side and a weight side. And actually the home, if you're on the home side, you actually can't go over to the weight side because they don't want like fights starting or whatnot. But I coached in my high school, so I'm able to like sneak over there. And every once in a while, I even take a couple guys with me. Usually I do it by myself. And all I'll do is I'll walk over and I'll look back at the student section. And I'll just watch it. And I'll see the scenery differently. I'll watch those seniors that I know. They're starving to get out of there. They think they have to wait on life. And then a little bit higher up, I see these juniors who act like they're watching a game, but they're really just looking down on the seniors. And then a little bit higher up, there's these sophomores, right? Who are still standing, that want to be a part of something, but don't feel like they are. And all the way to the top of my high school, the freshmen sit down. They're just spectators. And there's a part of me that would want to say, oh my gosh, let me grab some senior guy. We're going to walk up there and just sit with them. That's what's so fun. I take a couple campaigner guys, maybe one time a season, and I just bring them with me and say, look back. What do you see? And they're idiots. They'll say things like, oh, there's that girl. She's hot, right? But then I'm like, no, no, no. What do you think God sees? And it's changing our eyes to see the scenery that they're part of a story. This is not just another football game. This is not just another Friday. This is not just getting by. But they could be part of a story that's bigger than them. A powerful story if they would be the character to move into. You want to be part of that story? I love the scenery. Don't miss it. At your high school, your lunchroom. I know you've been there. Maybe you don't. Maybe your administrators don't like you. But if you are in, in, in there at all, 
Do you see the whole lunchroom? Do you notice the scene or do you take a second and pray, Lord, give me your eyes to see and you notice that freshman girl sitting by herself? When you would have just skipped over and gone to that table of sophomores, you already know. Do you see it? You know, one of the other most favorite scenes I love in Young Life is when we go to camp. And day four, they ask us to go back and dress up for the Western night or whatever. And every girl puts three dots on their cheeks, right? And the boys, they give us this charcoal. And we have to grind it up, put some water, and break it up. And then we put beards and mustaches and different things on them. See, I love that because that to me isn't just a part of young life, King. It's not just another thing. See, for that 20 minutes, I get to hold every guy's face in my hands. You love watching a movie because you see the character's eyes and you know what he's thinking. For the, that 20 minutes, I grab faces and they don't know but I'm praying for them. They don't know, but I'm dreaming of what their life could be like. I'm thinking 24 hours later when they'll get to hear about the cross, the scene, the imagery, you see it, or you just pass by. See, that makes a different story. See, in a movie, there's people that put it together to make it happen, right? You guys know these things, right? There's an author who dreamed the story and wrote it down. There's a director who didn't just see the green screen, but saw what it could become. There's a producer who saw that fear was the key to that scene. There's a casting director who saw what people could look like and then created it and stitched it together. There's a costume designer who was a part of that, building that and putting those things together. Do you notice the theme behind each person in that? that all of those people, what they did was never tied to their sight. The author thought up the story, wrote it down. The director saw the green screen, but he saw what could happen. The producer, maybe she saw something deeper, but it was never tied to their actual sight and what they were seeing. You do know that that's what your faith is, should be like. In Hebrews 12.1 says that Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. And then four verses later, it says, "Without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God." So it's impossible to please God without having a faith that's not tied to your vision. And each person in a movie, each person that has vision, there's some people that create it. I think there's some people who remember it, and at times it feels like there's some people who receive it. Like they're just writing the story and they're just receiving it. And it's, uh, it's kind of the same way with us. But I, I think all of this, the idea of vision and dream, it doesn't, vision doesn't start with a plan. It starts with a dream. It's why Steve Jobs, at the end of that movie, right, he sees his daughter, and she's got the, like, headphones in, and he suddenly has the dream, not tied to his sight, but he says, I'm going to put a thousand, thousand songs in your pocket. 
It was just a dream. It wasn't a plan. He didn't know how he was going to do that. It was just the idea of something not tied to his sight. That is where vision starts. It's the same way for us in faith. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes, you know, that does the flaming tongues thing, and that's weird, right? It might happen here in about 30 seconds. Who knows? It could happen. And then it said that they start quoting Joel, this Old Testament passage, where it says, when the Spirit comes, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. That when faith comes, dreams will start happening. And I don't think that's just like, oh, I have a dream or a, a specific vision. It could be, but I also think it's just the idea, what if? That that's what faith is. And so here's the question before we get into subscription. What is the dream you have? What is the dream you have for your club? What's the dream you have for your campaigners? What's the dream you have for that kid? For your school? Forget young life. What's the dream you have for your life? Do you think like that? I don't think like that all the time. I don't want to make it seem like I'm always doing, but there's times. And so what's your dream? The thing is, is if you do that, if on any level, you took 20 minutes, you took five minutes walking to class, you stood on the opposite side, looked back at your student section. At any point, if you did that, and just said, what is my dream? What it automatically causes is it pushes you back to faith. That automatically happens. If you're dreaming, it's like, I don't know, God, maybe he would do this. I'd have to depend on you. You'd have to show up. We're right back in faith. And I want to take you to some place where uh, the Bible praises people for the faith they have. You guys know it's Hebrews 11. So open your Bible, you got one. Hebrews 11, and it's the Hall of Faith. Where quite honestly, all it's really doing is telling you Here's what faith could or should look like. All right, and we're going to look at three different people. Somebody read, uh, one of you, go loud and proud, read verses 6 and 7. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 11. Does that? Come on. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him. I think you're in 10. Is it? Different translation? Hebrews 11, 7. Oh, 6 and 7. <laughs> Whoops. Go ahead. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness. Nice game. Um, so you see that in there, right? Verse 7, it talks about Noah, but it says when he was warned about things not yet seen. You see it right there. It's not supposed to be tied to your faith. 
And you guys know Noah, right? He has this funny interaction with God. And God commands him to build this ark. Do you know that at the time, uh, the commentators believed it hadn't even rained yet? That he wasn't even near water. And yet God calls him to do this thing. That I think he then had to take the instruction he was given, right? So he had to take the instruction he was given, and then he had to start putting wood together. And then he had to start sanding it. He had to figure out nails. And he hammered it. And he worked on it. And it started to take shape. And then he created it some more. And then he worked on it some more. Why did God not just give Noah the boat? Like, really, think about it. If God's going to bring this flood, why didn't God just give Noah the boat? What do you think? He wouldn't have had to trust him. Keep going. But he could have caused him to trust him in other ways. I mean, the flood's coming. It's still like, yeah, trust. But I'm with you. Why else would God maybe not have given him the boat? Yeah, sir. Because faith without works is dead, right? So there's faith not tied to your sight, then you have to put the work to it. And sand, nail. Keep going. Any other thoughts? These are good. Look, learn from each other. Created buy-in with Noah. Did he say it again? He created buy-in with Noah. Yeah, it created some buy-in. I appreciate that. That's good. See, I, I think part of that, I mean, this is a great answer. Part of it is also like, he gave him the idea, but he wanted him to be a part of creating the vision. It was a conversation with his It was a conversation, for sure. It built the relationship. And part of it was, was ongoing. That as he was creating, he probably said, God, is this right? I'm talking about his community. Oh, in the community. And sort of a conversation with the community, right? Why are you doing this? Which was conflict, by the way? Which would have made him want to stop? But he had to create it and build it. See, I think he's one of the examples of creating vision. And Noah, if you think about his story in a broad spectrum, really it sounds like a movie. I know it was created into a bad movie, but right, it sounds like a movie, right? It's like, what is the fate of the world? Depended on one man. To build a boat and bring animals together. The story of Noah. Right? Like it sounds, it sounds like a movie. But then you remember we have the same Holy Spirit as Noah. And the same spirit that was in him is the one that's telling us to be powerful. So would you say the fate of anyone's humanity depends on you? Is that how you think? Now trust me, don't hear me say that God has to help us. Right? He doesn't need us. He can have the rocks cry out. We all know that. But he wants us. His number one plan for changing humans in the world is other humans. Now he seeks and he moves and he works in it. We know that. He gets the glory. But he uses us. And he wants us to be a part of the movie, the story. If on any level you think like that, 
that there's conversations that only you're supposed to have. There's kids that you are supposed to love. There's names that you're supposed to know that she's not. If you think of it like that, take it a step further. Do your campaigner kids think of it like that? Because you realize they don't have a junior varsity version of the Holy Spirit. Right? Like they don't have the Diet Coke of Holy Spirit. They're not like the lean pocket to your hot pocket, right? They have the same Holy Spirit you have. And oh, by the way, Kendall, I know you're a leader. How many, oh, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Sorry, she's my own club girl, so I can do it. On your best week, how many hours are you at your school? Best week, three, right? On your best week, three, five, two, whatever it is, right? You're there, you're care, you're praying, you're with kids. You do realize your kids who have the same Holy Spirit as you walk in there five days a week, eight hours a day. Who's a better young life leader or wildlife leader in your school? They are. Do they think like that? Can you give them that vision? Can you have them start to dream about their school, their friends, their grade? And invite them into a better movie, a better story. But that is what the Bible says. By the way, if you did believe it, let's say for a second, uh, Hannah, my friend Hannah, let's say, Hannah, I told you that there's girls that only you can reach. You started to believe that. You have a Holy Spirit that's powerful in you. And this next week, you're supposed to go to your school. And you believed all those things. What would it cause in you? Like, how would you go about it differently? Yeah, you would have extreme confidence. And when that kid comes up to you and says, what are you doing here? We've all gotten it. It almost be like you're reminding them, well, I actually have God's spirit that's powerful, and I'm here because there's things I'm supposed to do. Why the hell are you here, right? And you go about it with a different sort of confidence. I'm supposed to be here. Why are you here? But it would cause that. It's a change of perspective. And it's re receiving some vision. This is a side note, but in Genesis 6, it talked about Noah. And it says that he was a blameless, he was blameless among the people, and he walked with God. See, Noah was the right man at the right time, at the right place, but he was also that for so many days before God said build the boat. And it's important for you to know that sometimes you have to walk with Christ and be the right man, be the right woman, be the right father of Christ so that you're ready for that moment. Are you living the life you're calling other people to live? And are you doing it day after day after day so you're ready when the movie comes, when the plot twist comes? But you do have to trust that sometimes it is yours to create. It's not your team leaders. I don't care if you're just got placed. It's yours to create. It's not your staff persons. This is your life. This is your ministry. It's you joining God and what he wants to do in your own life. And it's yours to create. In Matthew 16, 19, it says, he's talking to Peter, and he says, I have given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever you bind on uh, earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. He's basically saying, you got the keys. When I was getting married, I had a cousin, Dave, uh, who loved Corvettes. And he put together old Corvettes and would work on them. He, he sold them off at times, but then he kept, I think he had two. And he had one that was kind of like his baby. And so when I got married, you know, we did the ceremony, high and high, go down the aisle, we walked out. And when we opened the doors to the church, out front was Dave's convertible. Convertible Corvette. And they had kind of done it to surprise, you know, which is awesome. And so I was excited, whatever. And I took Holly, got her in the passenger seat, shoved the dress in, kept shoving the dress in, right? And eventually opened the door. And then walked around. And Dave handed me the keys. And he said, be careful. And when I got in, I remember gripping it at 10 and 2. I remember driving out of the parking lot and turning hand over hand. I remember going down the road way slower than I should have been. Because quite honestly, I was afraid to rent a car. I remember we came on an S-curve, and it felt like we were like in a golf cart. And at one point, Holly even looked at me and she's like, hey, you could probably speed up a little bit. And we were only going about 20 minutes to our reception. But that whole drive, I knew I was holding something precious. I was driving something that was not my own, and so I was gripped in, and I did not want to let it, let it out. I didn't want to test it. And I look back and I think to myself, I had so much horsepower behind me. And I had been given a gift. He knew it. He wanted me to enjoy it. He wanted me to let it rip. And I just played it safe. It's almost like you can hear God whispering to you, I've given you the keys to that girl, that school, kingdom. But yet, we are so afraid to drive sometimes. Or think of it like that. Let's keep going. So that's Noah. Somebody keep going. Verse 8. 8 through 12. Somebody got it? They try to shrink the vision. And he says, well, I'm not going to like, you know, my wife's way past age to have a baby. And so I'll just shrink the vision down and I'll just have a baby with a servant and that will be like kind of good enough, right? And in the midst of that, God does this cool uh, thing where he gives him a vision in it. It says in Genesis 15, 5, it says, 
he took him outside and had him look at the stars. So that every day for the next 25 years, he'd look up and remember that is what my family will be. He didn't want to just give him a one-shot vision. He wanted to give him something that constantly reminded him of the vision so that he would go about life and forget and then look up and remember a vision. Remember what God said. Sometimes we don't need to learn about God. Sometimes we just need to remember. Are there things that you believe but you just have forgotten them? Are there things that you remember feeling, knowing, trusting, but just for whatever reason this season of life, it's not there? Then maybe you don't need some fresh new vision. Maybe you just need to remember Hebrews, right before this, in Hebrews, it talks uh, right before the Hall of Faith in, in chapter 10, it says this, Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood at your ground in great contests in the face of sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecutions, at other times you stood side by side with those who were treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting promises. He's saying, do you remember your early days? And so young life, do you remember your early days in Jesus? Like when it was first real. When it wasn't just you knew about God, but you knew him. When it was intimate. Do you remember your first early days of leading? When you thought God could do anything. When you thought you were going to change your team or your school, do you remember those early days? Is there something you should just remember? I was the kid who called Young Life a cult and said I would never go. And then met Christ going into college. And freshman year, I just remember being fresh and believing I could do stuff. I, I was in the rap and hip hop, and I remember praying for 50 Cent to meet Jesus. Like, and like, sincerely would be praying. I was like, God, you can do it, man. 50 Cent will change the game for Christ, yeah? I remember thinking those things. And then what happened was I started following Jesus, and then my prayers got a little smaller. And then my prayers got a little smaller. And then, a little smaller. And then finally what happens is something has to wake you out of it. You have to remember something or see God differently or whatever, but you, have to, you almost get bumped out of it and you say, I can dream again. You are a powerful God. And sometimes that happens when we just remember what those early days were like. What if you went into your high school or middle school this week like you first did? Now knowing all the things you know, now deeper in Jesus, but you go back with fresh eyes. Maybe you don't need to create the vision or remember the vision. Maybe you just need to receive it. Skip all the way down to verse 24. And I'll read this last passage. It says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be mistreated along with the people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. There you see it again. He saw him who was invisible. It's not supposed to be tied to your faith. It never was supposed to be tied to your faith. It wasn't for Moses. You remember Moses, right? John talked about him last night. That God came down in Exodus 3 and said, I have seen their misery. Yeah. So I've come down to rescue. Woo, go God. So now I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Wait, what? And he says what John said tonight. You know, it's not me. Don't send me. And God spoke to Moses, gave signs, reassured him. And all the while, Moses was saying, it's not me. Send someone else. See, I love this because sometimes I think I have to be clever enough to, like, dream big. Like, it's on me, right? If I'm powerful and God's spirit inside me, then it's on me to go do this stuff, right? So I gotta like be creative, I gotta be, uh, have great tenacity. And it's not. Sometimes I just have to be the guy that receives it. That's close enough to God, just like an author sometimes is so wrapped up into it, he just feels like he's receiving the story. The same way with us in spirit, where I'm just at the school and it just feels like I'm receiving things. And I saw that kid, I said that thing, I didn't even need to say that thing, right? I'm just receiving it. I don't have to be clever enough, and either do you. You don't have to know every part of Jesus to start getting in the game. It's the things that we tell campaigner kids, but then we struggle to believe ourselves. And God spoke to Moses, and the vision was revealed. Sometimes I think we can hear God speak and maybe not even know His voice. And as we grow in Christ later, we know it is. When I was that early days leader, my first camp trip, I went to Lake Champion, upstate New York. And in Lake Champion, you go on mountain bikes with your cabin. And there's a thing called Milkshake Mountain. It's actually an uphill portion where you have to pedal all the way up, and at the end, there's like kind of a turn that makes it hard because you lose all your momentum. And I had a fun group of guys. It was my first year leading, but it was fresh. I was new. I was like eight months into Jesus. And so we're leading this cabin. We had dressed up as uh, the volleyball contest as nerds. And so we had this thing throughout the week that when anybody did something stupid or tried to hit on a girl and didn't work, whatever it was, we would start chanting, nerd, 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 right? And I led the charge. I was a great leader, I swear. Thanks. And so in that, we go up, and kid after kid after kid is going, and then they kind of get to the part where they have to turn, and they just tilt off one way or the other, because they lose momentum. But we had this one guy named Aaron Kerjason. We call him crazy. We call him crazy because he was 250 pounds, middle linebacker, and I'm almost positive he was on steroids, because he fit every stereotype of what that kid should be like. And he was like, I'm going to do it. And so he backs up, and he goes up. And I think what happened was he was like, stood up on the bike, and he was pedaling so hard that he wasn't, 
He was looking down. He wasn't looking where he was going. And so the path goes uphill, but if you go off the path, it starts to go downhill fast. And so he wasn't watching where he was going. He missed the turn, and he started going down the mountain, flipped out, bailed out, and threw his bike and, like, got close to a tree. And there's this moment where my cabin up top and up below stopped, paused. And then we go, <laughs> right? And he grabs his bike and throws it, chucks it down the mountain. He's so pissed. Not that he failed, probably partly, but that he was embarrassed. And I'm the last, I'm the leader in the back. And instantly what popped in my head was, oh no, he's not going to listen tonight at club. He's going to be so pissed off. He's going to be so embarrassed that I've lost him for the day. And almost immediately as that, thought, uh, uh, that thought popped in my head, the next one came in my head was, you got to crash harder. <laughs> and I kid you not, I'm new to Jesus. I don't know what this looks like to follow him. And so in that, I, I literally was like, God, is it you? Is that bad Mexican food? Like, what is happening? I should not crash harder. And you know, there's always, there's a few more kids that get up, and then there's me, and then there's like the summer staff, you know, person in the back. And I remember the last kid went, and I quickly turned around, and I said to the summer staff kid, I was like, hey, should I crash harder? Not knowing the context of what I was thinking, right? And the summer staff kid said, I don't know. I was like, you stop. And so I'm like, whatever, screw it, I just gotta do it. So I back up as far as I possibly can go. And I book it up this mountain. I'm going faster on a bike than I've ever gone. And if you know anything about mountain bikes, there's a back brake, and there's a front brake, front brake. And I grab about halfway up, grab the front brake as hard as you po I possibly can. And I come over, flip, and man, smack on my back. And I'm laying up, just looking at the trees, like <laughs> this quiet scene. And I just hear, nerd. <laughs> and I stand up, dust myself off, and walk my butt to the top of the hill. And people forgot about crazy, right? And they just went on. One kid, Mitch Robinson, stayed back. Look me in the eye and say, you crash on purpose? <laughs> I was like, no, man, what are you talking about? I received vision. But God started with my painter kid, Mitch, the same eyes. See, nine kids just left, but one camp painter kid started having the same eyes I had. I just was at the bottom of the mountain. It was my bike to, to bail. It wasn't supposed to be Mitch, but Mitch started getting the same eyes. He received the same vision I had. It was just my story to tell. And Mitch would have other ones. Sometimes you just have to receive the vision. And don't miss this. Verse 26 of what we read. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Like, I lose track of what my reward is. Your reward is not that the black kids would start to come to the club. Your reward is not that your school would suddenly allow you in. Your reward is not that you would take a great camp trip. Your reward is that you know Christ more. 
that you would turn everything down and say, I want that. That's my reward. I don't want you to go to contact work for your sake. I'm sorry. I don't want you to do it for that kid's sake. They'll tell you in that room that you should do contact work, that these kids deserve it, which is partially true, let's be honest. But I want it for your sake. Because if you do it, you know Jesus differently. Because you step into uncertainty and conflict, and you have to hear Jesus. That's the only reason I want my leaders to go. And they think I just want them to like build bigger clubs for me. I don't care. Because I want them to know their reward. And if they go, they experience the reward differently than if they just show up at the club. Because there's greater risk. There's a better potential for God to speak. I want to end with this. I'm going to read it to you. Because just if you start to think about this thing as like, hey, we should have faith and receive vision. Let's have vision. We're going to go change things. We're powerful. Just so you don't get too skewed. Just look with me. Verse 32. And what shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Sam, oh, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, yeah, ministered justice, woo, gained what was promised, yeah, who shut them out the lions. This is incredible. God's moving. Quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead. This is incredible. Raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned and they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. You have to make room in your theology for the others. You might be the leader that starts to experience the things you dreamt. You might just be an other. But either way, you get the reward of knowing Christ differently. So here's what I want you to end with. Okay, we do this in my campaigners, my leadership, anything. Write these three questions down. These are your application questions. Okay? And just try to take some time. You probably won't have time right now because it sounds like we're switching. But take five minutes of your quiet time and answer each of these. What is, what is the vision or dream of what should happen in your life apart from your life? The vision or dream should happen in your life. It might be something small. You might just say, for the rest of my life, I want to be about other people. That's right. But that's a vision and dream. It might be, I want to pursue this thing I'm passionate about and do it with God's glory and do it for the Lord. That's great. Well, what's the passion and dream you have for your lives? First one. Second one, what's the vision and dream of what should happen at your school, your campaigner group, your club, that kid? Kid, whatever it is, when you think of your ministry, I don't care if it's a kid, I don't care if it's your club, I don't care if it's just what should happen, what's the dream, the vision. And then the third thing is this what do you need to do? 
If you believe God's spirit was inside you, this powerful spirit, and you're going to leave here on Sunday, what is it you should do? Maybe it's a conversation with a kid. Maybe it's looking differently at the scenery. What should you do? Let me pray for us, and then you all can head to the next one. Thank you for these folks. I pray my words would melt away, but that your spirit would come and that they would be a part of creating vision, remembering vision, or receiving vision so that the Carolinas are never the same. Thank you, Lord, that you dream and see things that are not there and ask us of that same faith. So I pray that they would have faith, not tied to their sight. And that powerfully they move. There's something from that. All right, y'all, go fast. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that from Neil. Um, I loved how he talked about teaching us how to how to teach kids how to dream to more than what they're just being asked to. It reminds me of the song Other Side from The Greatest Showman, where Hugh Jackman is talking to Zac Efron and he's trying to tell him and teach him how to dream. Zac Efron says, if I were mixed up with you, I'd be the talk of the town, disgraced and disowned, another one of the clowns. And then Hugh Jackman says, but you would finally live a little, finally laugh a little. Just let me give you the freedom to dream. And it'll wake you up and cure your aching. Take your walls and start them breaking. Now that's a deal that seems worth taking. But I guess I'll leave that up to Let's continue to teach kids how to dream again. Till next time. <laughs>